Hello, Dark Arts, my old friend. You're listening to the Quibbler Podcast, the Harry Potter book club for silent types. Tell anyone, said Malfoy, and there will be retribution. You know Fenrir Greyback? He's a family friend. He'll be dropping in from time to time to make sure you're giving the problem your full attention. There will be no need for... I'll decide that. Not a word to anyone, Borgen. And that includes my mother. Understand? Naturally, naturally. I'm Heather Price, right? And I'm Alex Dallenberg. And here we are for week three of Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. This week we are reading the chapters called An Excess of Phlegm and Draco's Detour. As usual, spoilers and cursing. Also some adult themes. This week's adult themes are Mean Girls, Grade Inflation, Two-Factor Authentication, The Pink Isle, and The Homefront. Alex, what happened this week? In this week's chapters, Dumbledore returns Harry to the burrow where they find Molly and Nymphadora Tonks having a late night supper together. Tonks is looking a little peaked and weather beaten and generally bummed out. She takes her leave. Molly plies Harry with some delicious but very hot onion soup. Is it French onion soup? I think it's just onion soup, which maybe is French onion soup minus the good cheesy toasts. Why wouldn't Molly serve it with a good cheesy toast? I don't know, but later she asks him if he wants some bread, so I'm assuming there's no cheesy toasts in it. Uh, I know, that's the only part of French onion soup that's like worth ordering it for. I mean, onion soup is pretty good in general. No, it really is, but uh, the cheesy toasts really make it as a dish. It really does. Uh, Anyway, Harry... Now I kind of want to make onion soup this week. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. All right, meal planning. Harry snarfs some scalding hot onion soup. Why does he swallow the soup when it's so hot? Like, something, like, shocks him. All I know is he takes a big gulp, and it, like, burns his throat. I don't remember. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, this is, like, maybe the least important plot point in all of Harry Potter. (laughs) Why does Harry drink the onion soup so fast? But I just really relate to this because I often start eating my soup before it has completely cooled. Even when I warn you. Sometimes I'm like, Alex, this is going to be too hot. And then you look at me for two seconds as though you believe me. And then you eat it anyway. And then you burn your tongue. So, um, Welcome to our marriage. Total Gryffindor move there. They don't wait for their food to cool. Um... (laughs) (laughs) That's what this episode is going to be about. It's going to be about this onion soup. Anyway, while Harry is eating his extremely warm soup. (laughs) 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 While Harry is eating soup, Arthur Weasley comes home from work. We find out that he's gotten a promotion. He's now in charge of basically keeping counterfeit dark detectors and like knockoff protection amulets and stuff off the market because there's this there's this booming trade in defensive weaponry and um, some of it just doesn't work but some of it's like tricks maybe planted by the death eaters because some of it does really nasty yeah. things so arthur is bringing his kind of magical artifact experience to bear and i don't remember what the name of this new office is it has some wild fucking long wizardy title anyway arthur shows up 
Molly is about to open the door, and then Arthur says, Ah, 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 you need to ask me for our safe word, which is... <laughs> Alex thinks this is maybe the funniest thing that happens in Harry Potter. Also, it's not a safe word. It's a security question. <laughs> but it's funny to call it a safe word because sex. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. Okay. Arthur asks, what do we call each other when we're alone? And Molly turns bright red and says, Molly wobbles. Why do you think that's so funny? I don't I don't know. It's just hilarious. <laughs> Clearly, Percy picked up some of his kinks from Arthur and Molly. That's not kinky. That's just a term of endearment. I think they say this when they're smashing. I hate, I hate that you picked up the word smash. I got it from the internet. I know, it sucks. That's what people on Twitter say now. I hate Twitter. <laughs> but also, ugh, it's the grossest version of that verb. But I mean, this is clearly, this isn't just a term of endearment. I think it she is. She says when they're alone together, so. Okay, you're right. There's maybe some not. sexy connotations. I don't know. We have spent so long on soup and molly wobbles. <laughs> We're like 10 minutes into this episode and we've gotten nowhere. We are five minutes and 45 seconds into this episode. Okay, I can't see. And once we take out like half of the soup discussion, <laughs> it's going to be, we're, we're not even. All right, it's going to be fine. Anyway, Harry gets a peek into Molly and Arthur's sex life or not sex life. I guess it doesn't have to be sexy. That's very like immature and Ron Weasley-ish of me to go there. So... Whatever. So Harry has been reintegrated into the domesticity of the burrow in a very big way. Uh, the next morning, after a good night's sleep, the Golden Trio is reunited, and it feels so good. Hermione and Ron are there along with Ginny. Hermione and Ginny are discussing this woman that they fucking hate, which at first Harry is like, why are they talking about Mrs. Weasley this way? But they're not. They're talking about but 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 motherfucking Fleur Delacour is now living with the Weasleys because she is engaged to Bill Weasley, the hottest Weasley. Is he the hottest Weasley? Definitely. Yeah. Charlie's like fine. Charlie's the, pretty hot. Charlie's like the bear Weasley, but I mean, personally, I'm gonna go with the bear every time. <laughs> But I think Charlie is, I mean, I think Bill is sort of objectively okay. the hot Weasley. So, uh, you may recall that Fleur was, was she, she was like interning at Gringotts Bank? Or, uh, I don't remember. She's maybe, like working there part time yeah. to improve her English. Mm -hmm. And that's where she met Bill, who works as a curse breaker there. And they got together, and now they're engaged, which Hermione, Ginny, and Mrs. Weasley fucking hate. They say a lot of nasty things about her. Ginny calls her phlegm, which is why this chapter is called an excess of phlegm, which I'd completely forgotten about. I was wondering what kind of, like, nasal cavity thing would be in this chapter, but it's just a fucking insult. So they just talk about what a boring, dumb witch she is, basically, and it's really mean. Molly is trying to sabotage Bill and Fleur's relationship by trying to get him to date Tonks, which is why she keeps asking Tonks to dinner, but Tonks is in no place to have a serious relationship right now because she's hella fucking depressed about the fact that her cousin Sirius Black is dead, which... Isn't she actually depressed because she's in love with Lupin and he won't 
Oh, maybe that's it. I think she's oh, depressed shit. about Lupin. Well, I completely misread this. Yeah, I remember because he won't date her because he's like all fucking self-loathing about being a werewolf and she's like it's fine like i have agency but he's like i don't want to put you in danger or whatever the fuck i think that's what's going on here that fucking bites oh my god move on please (laughs) that was a howler oh my god Uh, so she's mooning over him wow always in threes mooning over moony I might be wrong about that. That eventually is the case. I forget if this early on she's already into Lupin. Well, there's a little more Weasley family goss. Harry asks, what's up with Percy? It turns out Percy is still on the outs with the family, even though it's been revealed that Arthur and Molly were right about Lovo the entire time. But he's still they're still not on speaking terms. And Dumbledore tells Molly that's because sometimes it's easier to forgive someone for being wrong than for being right. Which so, is wise as fuck. That's wise as fuck. The results of everyone's OWL examinations show up. Obviously, Hermione got an outstanding in pretty much everything except Defense Against the Dark Arts, where she got where she got an exceeds expectations. Harry did pretty well. He got an O in Defense Against the Dark Arts, obviously. And the only subjects he really tanked were Divination and History of Magic, where he got a dreadful. But that's not a troll, so not bad. But he is sad because he only got an exceeds expectations in potions, so he can't move on to take Professor Snape's NEWT level potions class. So being an Auror is not in the cards for him anymore, unless something uh, changes in the next few chapters. We'll We'll see. see. Harry's birthday is grim as fuck because everybody's talking about the news, which, I mean, that's relatable. Yeah, I don't think I've had fun at a party in a really long time because somebody always brings up fucking Brett Kavanaugh or some <laughs> shit. It's just a mess out here. All these people have, like, disappeared and... Yeah, Igor Karkaroff is dead, former headmaster of Durmstrang. They found him in, like, a shack somewhere. Fucking Florian Fortescue, the nice ice cream shop owner, got dragged out of his ice cream parlor, probably by the Death Eaters. That's fucked up. What could the ice cream man have possibly done? I, he gave someone, like, too small a scoop or something, I guess. Oh, I don't know. No. Lovo's like, I ordered a swirl! Do, I don't, do we ever find out what Florian Fortescue was up to? I Dude, forget. I don't know, but that is a cold way to go. Oh my god. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Keep going. <laughs> oh man. I scream, you scream. Florian Fortescue screams because he's being dragged out of his ice cream parlor. And probably tortured yeah. somewhere. So that's no good. Also, Ollivander is missing. So the fuck? Where's everyone gonna get their wands now? Apparently there are other wand makers. But they're like shitty and cut rate. Yeah, they're like the RC Cola of wands or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) You know? (laughs) Like the bottom like on the cereal, like the fucking like Happy O's or whatever (laughs) cereal. The cereal that comes in bags. You know, it's like a kangaroo mascot instead of like... What? I feel like they use like... I lost you. I lost the thread. You know, there's like... I'm thinking of a specific generic cereal where it's like a kangaroo instead of... I think we have to move on from this. Okay, fine. You don't want to talk about soup, and now you don't want to talk about cereal. (laughs) Are you hungry? Maybe I am. (laughs) 
What's the? It's like a kangaroo instead of like the rabbit. You know, like what rabbit? Tricks are for kids. There's a kangaroo tricks. I don't know if it's a kangaroo necessarily, but you know they always use like a slightly different animal, and it's just sort of like off-brand. Yeah. Okay. So that's the wand situation now. Also, just give the damn rabbit some tricks. Like, how expensive is cereal? We're in a whole other place that we just can't be. We can't be here. The fuck? Share your cereal with the goddamn rabbit, you selfish bastards. <laughs> I always hated that as a kid. That offended my sense of justice. Oh, you were such a sharer. Yeah. We also learned that Harry has been made Quidditch captain, which has basically like co-equal rights and privileges to the prefects. So sports just has an outsized role in Hogwarts, but... Means he gets to use the fancy bathtub. I mean, that's great. Oh, one other thing that's important. Harry shares the prophecy with Ron and Hermione, and they are incredibly supportive, which makes him feel super good. Hermione is also extremely impressed that Harry is going to take private lessons with Dumbledore, and she speculates about all the fucking badass spells he's going to learn. Of course, we know that they just end up shooting the shit about Tom Riddle a bunch, and Harry never learns anything more than Expelliarmus, which turns out to be fine. We're still in the first chapter. (laughs) Don't people like these summaries? That's like, apparently, the most mind-blowing thing about this podcast is that people are like, fuck yeah, the summaries. I mean, certainly I don't get it. So we're just giving the... No, I'm, this is, you guys know that my hatred of the summaries is an act, right? We're just giving the people what they want. Actually, I mean, whatever, I'm just summarizing Harry Potter, so all the credit goes to J.K. Rowling, basically. I don't think that's fair. I think you add your own flavor. That's true. And it's onion flavored. Oh my god. What happens next? Everybody has to go shopping for school supplies, which is always a fun part of these books, because who doesn't like to go to, like, Enchanted Staples and buy (laughs) all the fucking office supplies? I know I would like to do that. Uh, They get picked up in ministry cars because Harry's given top security by the Scrimgeour administration. They show up, and their bodyguard is motherfucking Rubeus Hagrid because, you know, he's fucking swole and he can take care of anything. So good to see Hagrid again. They walk through the Leaky Cauldron, which is empty as fuck because no one is in the mood to drink. You'd think it would be the opposite in these dark times, but basically everyone is staying indoors, and Diagon Alley is, like half empty because the wizarding world has been plunged into economic depression by this civil war that is now begun in earnest. There are shady dealers selling various knockoff amulets that Arthur is trying to intercept. Uh, There's wanted posters for the various at-large Death Eaters. I'll speed this up. The trio bump into the Malfoys at Madame Malkin's, where they almost have a Sharks and Jets rumble. Uh, what do they argue about? Like, which of them should be dead? Yeah, basically, basically. words are spoken between the trio and Narcissa and Draco Malfoy, who are just being very Malfoyish. Ultimately, the Malfoys storm out, and they're like, we're gonna go to Twiddlefingers and Twaddle, or whatever the other fucking robe shop is. So that was, like, awkward as fuck. 
everybody gets their first tour of Weasley's Wizard Wheezes. It's basically the only store on Diagon Alley that's doing gangbusters business. It's full of awesome and innovative new magical tricks and gizmos, including these kind of cool psychedelic like capsules that cause you to have realistic daydreams. Hermione's like, this is amazing magic. And the Weasley twins are like, yeah, sweet dreams are made of these. And Hermione says, who am I to disagree? Also in the back, the Weasleys show Harry their new, even more lucrative product line. They're selling defensive armaments, basically, to the Ministry of Magic. So they are defense contractors now. <laughs> and whoa, it turns out that the military-industrial complex is way more lucrative than selling, like, fake wands that turn into chickens. The twins also interrogate Ginny about her love life as she's eyeing these pygmy puffs. So they're breeding animals, too. The pygmy puffs are like these cute fucking tiny little fluff balls that, I don't know, are cute. Cute animals are cute. During this tour, the trio spy Draco walking outside the window. He's kicking down the cobblestones and looking for fun and being evil. They wonder how he got away from his mom, since his mom is clearly, like, very overprotective. So, but ba ba it's motherfucking Mystery Inc. time. They, they throw Harry's invisibility cloak over themselves and entail Draco into Nocturne Alley, where he ducks into evil restoration hardware. <laughs> so we called Borgen and Burke's evil Buffalo Exchange before, but... Uh, it's more like Restoration Hardware, I guess. It's yeah. not all that shabby. It's got some, like, real shit in there. Yeah, I know. So anyway, he ducks into evil Restoration Hardware and has a heated conversation with the proprietor that Harry and the gang try to overhear. Ron slips some extendable ears underneath the door, and they hear a bit about Draco demanding that Borgen fix something, and then he shows... Borgen something that they can't see, which seems to freak him out. Draco leaves. Hermione goes in after Draco and asks some not-so-subtle questions about what he was trying to buy. She makes up some cover story about wanting to buy him, like, a Christmas present, but I don't know if their line of, like, evil Nightmare Before Christmas gifts are, like, out yet. But anyway, Borgen doesn't tell her anything, and she leaves. The trio are mystified about what Draco is up to, but it seems suspicious AF. They head back to Fred and George's shop where Molly has been looking for them, and they just say, like, oh, we were in the back room the whole time. And that's what happens in this week's chapters. Whew. So we really need to talk about this Fleur situation. You don't really want her around forever? Ginny asked Ron incredulously. When he merely shrugged, she said, Well, Mum's going to put a stop to it if she can, I bet you anything. How's she going to manage that? asked Harry. She keeps trying to get Tonks round for dinner. I think she's hoping Bill will fall for Tonks instead. I hope he does. I'd much rather have her in the family. Yeah, that'll work, said Ron sarcastically. Listen, no bloke in his right mind's going to fancy Tonks when Fleur's around. I mean, Tonks is okay looking when she isn't doing stupid things to her hair and nose, but she's a damn sight nicer than Flem, said Ginny. And she's more intelligent. She's an auror, said Hermione from the corner. Fleur's not stupid. She was good enough to enter the Triwizard Tournament, said Harry. 
Not you as well, said Hermione bitterly. I suppose you like the way Flem says, Ari, do you? asked Ginny scornfully. No, said Harry, wishing he hadn't spoken. I was just saying Flem, I mean, Fleur. I'd much rather have Tonks in the family, said Ginny. At least she's a laugh. They are horrible to her. They really are. For no reason. Yeah, I was sitting, listening to these chapters at lunch, and I was just thinking, they're being so mean for no reason. Fleur is, like, mildly irritating at, like, a couple of moments here. Like, she says the burrow is boring, which, like, she ain't wrong. If you're not, like, best friends with all these people, like, there isn't much to do with the burrow besides, like, help Molly with the housework and, like, fucking hang out with gnomes. <laughs> and she's sort of imperious about Beaubaton and, I, I guess, a little bit of a snob. But that's the thing with in-laws, like... Getting used to a new household and a new family and a new way of doing things, like, puts you a little bit on the defensive. Like, she's acting pretty normally under the circumstances. And given how fucking rude these people are being to her. I just felt so bad for her. She seems like she's really trying. She's bringing up breakfast trays to Harry. English is not her first language. She's in a foreign country. With her, like, soon-to-be in-laws who clearly despise her, except for Bill. Yeah, the boys are all nice to her, but in this, like, super creepy, like, oh, you're so hot, like, I can't even, like, be in the same room with you kind of way. Like, Ron isn't rude to her, but he's fucking creepy to her. (laughs) He really is. And, like, (laughs) Ginny's behavior is kind of the worst, but I understand a little better because she already has such a complicated relationship with like all these boys in her family like she has a lot of trouble getting attention she spends a lot of time like really 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 trying to have them think that she's like cool and important and like a real weasley and i can understand her not wanting another woman in the house like competing for that even further hermione and mrs weasley are behaving unconscionably rudely yeah hermione has no fucking reason to dislike fleur in fact She has lots of reasons to like Fleur. Well, she didn't like the attention Ron gives her in Goblet of Fire. Yeah, okay, but, like, she pretends not to be into Ron, so she needs to get it together. Also, they're very convinced that Fleur is, like, stupid and ditzy. Well, Harry sticks up for her. He's like, she got into the fucking Triwizard Tournament. Like, she's a good witch. Fleur is genuinely talented. Also, the most important person in her life is her younger sister. That's nice. Which is really sweet and means that she's a genuinely good person. Also, she's fallen in love with Bill Weasley, who's a good guy. Yeah, the best Weasley. He's sexy. He's not the best Weasley. The twins are the best Weasleys. But he's like, sure, he's sexy, but he's also like, he loves his family. A highly rated Weasley. Yeah, he's a good Weasley. A top tier Weasley. So... You and I were talking about this earlier, and we came to a sort of startling and upsetting conclusion as we talked through this treatment of Fleur, which is that I genuinely can't think of a positively depicted close relationship between women in these books. We talked through, like, every pairing we could think of. Certainly there are no relationships between women that are not triangulated through a man. So, like... Ginny and Hermione seem to get along fine. They have a friendly relationship, but, you know, her primary relationship is with Ron. Right. And Ginny is a kid's sister to Hermione, 
who she happens to like get along with when she's like staying there for the summer. Yeah, they are, they're friendly. They're not intimate. Mrs. Weasley is like very, very quick to believe like really nasty rumors about Hermione in book four, despite the fact that she knows Hermione super well and has spent a lot of time with her. So Mrs. Weasley is mean to women. Yeah, most of the nastiest interactions in these books tend to be between two women. And even uh, most of the sibling relationships, like Petunia and Lily have a really nasty relationship. Narcissa and Bellatrix have a clearly contentious, pretty nasty relationship. Lily doesn't have any friends. Like, we I mean, spend... Sure she, I'm sure she does. Well, we just no, never no, learn about them. But we don't have any... A, she doesn't have any on-screen friends, which is what... Or any on-page friends, which is what matters here. Right. And B, we spend so much time delving into and really profoundly understanding what friendship meant in James Potter's life. And Lily is just like a fucking blank slate in that regard. It's like Lily sort of blinked into existence for the sake of Snape and James' rivalry. And to be like this creepy like mother's love amulet for Harry. (laughs) Lily has no friendships. And the few female friendships that do get depicted are... Silly and frivolous. Parvati Patil and Lavender Brown are really, really close and present for each other and loving and consistently depicted as like... Yeah, it's always a comic foil. Well, or they're depicted as really, really silly and unserious and stupid. Whenever a group of women are together in these books, they're usually giggling. They're either giggling or they're like backstabbing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I genuinely Most of like, the women have two modes giggle, backstab, except for Hermione, who. And Hermione is made noble by the fact that she is looked upon favorably by like cool men. Like, which Hermione, is the same thing with Lily. Exactly. Hermione's like not like other girls. She's like a cool girl and she just like doesn't really get along with girls that well. She's like more of a guy's gal, which I don't trust that kind of a lady. So. I- are these kind of troubling depictions of women because we're seeing it through Harry's eyes and he's kind of just doesn't no. think... I think it's that's probably the most generous interpretation, but no. I don't think that's correct one. I like, think it's rolling. I think seemed, that she doesn't... Perhaps has had complicated female relationships in her life, but has given no generosity to the possibility that women like mean something to each other independent of like male foils do you think if we like asked her about that she would cop to that i just she doesn't cop to anything she doesn't like i'm sorry i love these books but like jk rowling's like social media presence has taught me (laughs) that she cops to nothing she's like incapable of admitting that like there are like imperfections in how her characters relate to each other yeah, or I like just, how they're portrayed. At the very least, she seems like someone who's very skeptical of female friendship. Yeah, of closeness between women that doesn't have anything to do with like the nobility of men. And I mean, women can be terrible to each other the same way that men can be. And the but... same way that men and women can be terrible to each other. Like interpersonal relationships are complicated, but we don't see any variety or diversity of relationships between women we see silliness and cattiness and cruelty and sort of disinterest except for fleur and her little sister fleur gabrielle and her sister are the best depiction of a close female relationship in this entire book like even you know i think i'm trying to think of like the pushback we're gonna get from people mrs weasley and tonks mrs weasley is 
basically just trying to set Tonks up with her son. Yeah. She cares about Tonks. Yeah, yeah. Fine. We don't see McGonagall have any closeness with any of the well, females. She hates Trelawney. She fucking hates Trelawney. She kind of backs her up, but that's because she hates Umbridge more. Again, it's just women hating each other to varying degrees. Uh, Rita Skeeter and Hermione is one of the nastiest relationships in these books. They like kind of become like enemy of my enemy allies for like a brief moment, but they still despise and are jealous of each other and hate each other. Hermione is brutally mean to Luna, considering how much of an asset Luna is to this group. She thinks Luna is stupid. Ginny's pretty nice to other women. Ginny's... Ginny, we're meant to understand, has, like, off-page, like, relation, like friendships, it seems like. Ginny's also just, like, socially a lot more, like, well-developed than any of these other weirdos. Like, Harry, Ron, and Hermione can basically only talk to one another with any, like, faculty. Right. Ginny, you're right. She seems like she's... I mean, she's nice to Luna, but in a kind of pitying way. Yeah. She, like, doesn't call her Looney, which I guess we're meant to understand means that she's, like, magnanimous as fuck. (laughs) For doing the bare minimum. But, like, I'm at a point... We had this realization, and I'm actually really disturbed by this fact. This is a seven-book, thousands-of-page series that doesn't pass the Bechdel test. We might have to define that. Okay, so the Bechdel test is, it technically it's an on-screen thing, so I don't know how we would time it in the books. But I think it's, is there a full minute of two female characters talking to each other on-screen about something other than a man? Which, like... I don't think there is in these books. It's named for Alison Bechdel, a feminist and... Uh, a cult- graphic novel writer. Yeah, and cultural critic. Maybe if you added up every conversation in the entire series between women, you would get to like a minute and a half. Well, it's really hard in a book that's centered on like a male protagonist that mostly spends time with him to there, achieve that. No, there are lots of scenes that sort of diverge from Harry's point of view. There really aren't. There's like four. There's multiple chapters in yeah. several books. But not that. There's like... There's enough. Yeah, there's enough. Fuck they that. Could have. There's enough. There are enough scenes in which Hermione and Ginny are present that they could talk. There are enough scenes in which even fucking Ginny and Mrs. Weasley essentially never talk to each other. Except for like mutual annoyance. <laughs> Yeah, I mean... Like, basically, Mrs. Weasley, like, chides Ginny. There's no... Even, like, female parent, female child relationships are, yeah, like, they're all Yeah, they're all really... Yeah, it makes me wonder about Rowling's relationships and if, uh, but you know, I, she's you know primarily Fuck experienced it. I don't fraught. Wanna, I don't want to... No, she has a really close relationship with her daughter. She talks oh, yeah. about that online a lot. I, I just think that, I, I mean, I, I also don't care. I don't care where this comes from. Like, do better. This is an obnoxious feature of these books that I had never really thought about hard. But, you know, we've been having more and more trouble with the depiction of women in Harry Potter. And the fact that there is zero depiction of positive female friendship or familial relationship is like, it's fucked. And like, maybe you guys can think of one. And if you can, like, let us know. But we went through almost every female character in the books and tried really hard and we couldn't come up with anything good. Susan and Amelia Bones maybe are like close. But that is like... That is reaching. That's also deeply 
off page. Like, that's also like... It's like deep background. Yeah? Yeah. No, there's Lavender and Parvati, and they're idiots, as told by J.K. Rowling. So what does this mean? I mean... I guess it just... What do you mean, what does it mean? I don't know. Does it just mean that... Hmm, what what am I trying to say? It doesn't mean anything. It's a massive oversight on the part of somebody that's not thinking very hard about the depiction of women, despite the fact that she portrays herself as, like, a fucking evangelizing feminist. She gets so much credit for the existence of Hermione. Right. Hermione is really problematic toward other women. Hermione has a lot of internalized misogyny. Yeah, Hermione it's thinks very... that men's stories are more interesting. It feels like a vi- Hermione's leaning in, right? She's trying to be like She's a very like a man. Yeah, Sheryl Sandberg character. Yeah, it's uh this is very like It's very corporate feminism. It's, it's very boomer feminist. Like Oh, the way that you, like, get ahead is by, like, yeah, act like a CEO, and you'll be a CEO, as opposed to, like, maybe different skills should be considered positive in business or fucking whatever. Also, like, corporate feminism is just fucking essentially bullshit, (laughs) because feminism is about liberation, and corporate America deeply isn't. It's funny, because Fleur, another thing about Fleur is she is unabashedly feminine at the same time. Well, and what they hate about her is that she is, right, she is beautiful, and she is, I think they would probably say vain. I would just say, like, maybe interested in different aspects of being a woman than they are. And they want Tonks in the family instead of Fleur. And Tonks is cool. Yeah, but Tonks Tonks is is a a lot more, like, stereotypically, like, masculine. Right. Like, she has, a like, a dude's, like, a woman in a man's world kind of a job. She doesn't care that much about her appearance. Or when she does, it's in a kind of, like, punk, like, anti-femme way. Yeah. But at this, she has hmm. pink hair, I guess. Yeah. But like, she's not anything like Fleur, and Fleur is also unabashedly domestic. Like, she doesn't work full time. She's like really dedicated to like becoming a wife. So Mrs. Weasley should love her. But she's Fleur like- proves herself. Fleur ends up like earning their grudging respect. But you shouldn't have to prove yourself in order to be treated like a human in this household. Yeah. They're so, so, so mean to her. It's like disturbing. It really is. And there's no reason for it. She's fine. She tries really hard. In these books, there's this weird, you can't be too hot in these books. Exactly. Because that causes suspicion. You have to be pretty enough that boys don't hate you. You can't be a Millicent Bolstrode. Yeah. Because that means evil or umbrage. Right. Ugly women are evil, but like overly hot women are like silly and unimportant and frivolous. You have to be like the perfect kind of like Hermione, like Tonks. Doesn't know she's beautiful, like medium hot. Wow. It's bullshit. (laughs) Yeah. So no, yeah, we should move on, but. Boy, we both just had this light bulb moment, like, simultaneously. Where we were like, this is really, like, really messed every up. Every woman in these books hates other women. And the ones that have close relationships are seen as idiots. Like, Cho has a lot of good girlfriends, and that is seen exclusively as an impediment to her relationship with Harry. Cho seems like a cool girl. Yeah. Cho seems good at being a friend. Whoa, yes, and her best friend, like, sells out the, yeah, or- exactly. the uh, Dumbledore's army. Yeah, Cho's best friendship is a massive liability. Oh, I didn't man. even think of that until yeah. just now. Yeah, wow. Yeah, it's fucked up. <laughs> Fuck it's, like, that. really dark. 
Oh man! I know. All right, we gotta we gotta move on. We could. Uh, this is gonna be our TED talk. <laughs> All right, let's talk about OWLs. Harry definitely didn't get an outstanding in gender studies. <laughs> How did Harry do so well? He never does his fucking homework. I actually don't think that's fair. Harry's not a dummy, and if Snape wasn't such a bitch to him. I mean, the thing is, these exams were fair. Right. You know, because they were, they were independent administrators. Yeah. So he's not bad at any of these subjects, except the ones that he failed. You know, <laughs> he doesn't love writing essays, but I don't think he's incapable either. He just like relies really heavily on Hermione. But we see him doing his homework over the summer and he seems fine at it. The only reason he fails Potion is because Snape is a bitch. <laughs> he doesn't fail it. He gets an exceeds no, expectations. No, but I mean like in yeah. class. Oh yeah, in class. Like the only reason he fails assignments in Potion's class. Snape's got it out for him. But like when he actually is like under an independent examiner, he's fine at he Potion's. He did pretty well, yeah. Because fucked up as it may be, Snape is actually a pretty good instructor. So it seems really hard to get an O. I mean, Ron doesn't get any O's. Well. Ron's also a pretty mediocre student, but Harry... Only gets one outstanding in Defense Against the Dark Arts, which he is, like, preternaturally gifted at. Yeah. How does Snape have a full class if he only accepts people who get an outstanding in yeah, his I don't NEWT understand that, level? Because like, Draco these, is definitely dumber than Harry. These exams seem pretty hard. I think they're extremely difficult. I mean, maybe Harry could have gotten an O in potions if he wasn't so distracted by the fact that the teacher wants to kill him. <laughs> Like, Harry definitely doesn't learn as much potions if he as he could if all this bullshit wasn't going down in class all the time. And to be fair, Hermione gets almost all O's. That's true. So clearly it's doable. I mean, I'm assuming, like, someone like Ernie McMillan is getting an O in potions. Like, there's lots of, like, smart characters. There's also the entire house of Ravenclaw. That's true. All right, fair enough. So Hermione, I mean, Harry's, like, a pretty average student who performs maybe above average on exams. Did you relate to Hermione? Oh my god. I would have been devastated by an E. That's Even though not, you got O's and everything else? No, that's not an exaggeration. I've never gotten a B. <laughs> I thought of you very much I would in have this been, chapter. A, a, an E would have crumpled me. Absolutely. I would have reacted worse than Hermione. <laughs> yeah, she actually keeps it together she pretty well. She does keep it together. All things considered. No, I would have been absolutely devastated by an E. You really I, never got a B. No, I never got a B. In high school or college? No. Wow. No, I graduated with a 4.0 in college and like a 4.8 in high school because I had weighted classes. Dang, dude. I. This is not a reflection of my intelligence. This is a reflection of my just like unbelievable drive and anxiety about like external validation. <laughs> I am not sitting here saying that I'm a genius or even really very smart. I am saying... I cared so hard about grades that it almost ruined my life for like the entire 16 years that I was in school. Yeah, unfortunately, I was more of a Ron Weasley type where I would just write off a subject and be like, math? Ah, fuck that. Which I now regret. Like deeply, actually. Wish I had cared a little more about things that I wasn't uh, I wish naturally I had cared interested more. in. I wish I had cared more about the learning aspect of it. Yeah. I don't remember math. But I sure as fuck got A's in it. 
There were classes that I struggled in and did well because I thought they were interesting. I thought physics was very fucking hard, but I loved it. I had an amazing physics teacher. So like I genuinely tried in physics and wanted to do well because I wanted to learn. But that certainly wasn't always the case. But yeah, I always got an A. And I would have been pissed if I had gotten a B. Not pissed, like devastated. It's dumb. It's insane. Hermione is not responding rationally or accurately to the situation. I'm just saying I relate to it. I don't know. I feel like we're like learning a lot about what I was like in school. And the answer is like bad. Not bad. I, really unpleasant. And very high strung. Do you wish you'd cared less about grades? Yeah. Absolutely. I think I would have learned more if I'd cared less about grades. It's sort of Hermione's, it's like her strength and her flaw, right? I think it's a flaw. I think it's pretty believable. She's very smart, but I think how much she cares about external validation, I think that's one of my biggest flaws, and I think that's one of Hermione's biggest character weaknesses. I think giving Rowling some credit, this is something that, you know, a lot of people relate to. Yeah. No, it's a very relatable way of being. And I also think it's negative. I mean, it's not all negative. Like, it's cool to have a character for whom, like, academic achievement is important and it doesn't make her just like a like it doesn't make her like an incurable dork seen I mean she's praised right and she's seen as the cleverest witch of her age but she's also obsessive and annoying and then there's Ron that just like doesn't give a fuck I know but like it doesn't matter ultimately Ron has a super nice life as an adult but he doesn't become minister of magic no but he becomes from what I understand from the play, like, he gets a perfectly reasonable job and, like, is married to the Minister of Magic, <laughs> which is fucking cool in its own right. All right. Here's a quibble I have is with Ron is when he just writes off the fact that he and Harry both got D's in History of Magic because he says that, what does he say? Basically that it's useless. And it's like, guys, maybe if you paid attention in fucking history class... During, like, lectures about goblin rebellions, you would have some fucking context for when Griphook, like, utterly betrays you in the next book. Yeah. Like, or any other number of situations where understanding, like, the historical context of what you're dealing with would help. Like, Hermione is constantly quoting Hogwarts of History to them, and they, like, just don't understand why that could possibly matter. Well, the chosen one, yeah. the literal chosen one is moving through the second civil war of like a two-part wizard great war, almost completely context-free. Yeah. Like sort of knows the personal histories of the people who he is close with who were involved the last time, but knows virtually none of the sort of deeper ideological underpinnings of the war doesn't really understand what's going on ever. I mean, this is sort of on Bins, too, because he's not planning very engaging lessons. But yeah, I mean, like, Bins is a dismal and dreadful teacher, but, like, read a fucking book. Yeah. Come on, guys. Like, just... Hogwarts of History helps Hermione out so often. And she In figures out, like, some tangible, of the flaws with it. But, yeah. Well, okay, history is always written by people with biases, and Hermione is actually a pretty smart historiographer as well and, like, identifies that. But... Reading a history book would help them fight this battle and this war. As a big history stan, I'm just disappointed by Harry and Ron's total disengagement with the subject. Even like finding the horcruxes. Like it takes them forever to figure out the diadem. (laughs) And if you knew anything about the history of the founders, 
Like, you would have figured that out faster. Although, researching in the wizarding world is clearly fucking impossible. Uh, Did you see this tweet from guest host Kyle, where he was basically like, how fucked up is the Hogwarts cars catalog if they can't find the name of a dude who was so famous he was on a chocolate frog card Nicholas Flamel yeah for the entire like they never find him in the library they (laughs) only remember the chocolate frog no it's true research is almost impossible but that doesn't mean that Harry couldn't pick up a book like they're spending so much time in the library maybe because it's completely disorganized (laughs) so they're mostly just impenetrably dense uh the dewey dumbledore system is terrible <laughs> which doesn't work at all um this is my test humble brag okay i got an 800 on the sat2 u.s history damn perfect score uh i didn't, I didn't take the sat2 dismally on the math portion oh i'm sorry yeah I know. well congratulations on your history score thanks it availed me nothing Again. Didn't help me get into college. Uh, None of these accomplishments are meaningful. It's just a footnote in my life. In your academic. I'm not even a historian, which I'm kind of bummed about, but. Well, you could be. Yeah, second career. Is that like something people do as a second career? I don't know. I think you can do whatever you want whenever you want. Wow. That's uh, privilege. I, I mean, A, that's privilege, but B, I believe in you. Thanks, baby. You're welcome. So they're living during just straight up wartime now. Like when they get to Diagon Alley, you really get this very strong sense of what... I like this tableau. Yeah. Of the shuttered storefronts and the wanted posters. Nice callback to the serious black wanted poster. But now there's just like shit tons of them all featuring the different Death Eaters. And the Wizarding World, as I mentioned in the recap, seems to be going through... An economic depression. Well, yeah. I mean, nobody is spending any money because they feel unsafe even like outside of their homes. And And it takes five hours at Gringotts to get your gold out and you need to be, I guess we're given to understand, anally probed? Yeah, that's fucked. A probity probe? Well, so the reason partly for this economic depression is there's no sort of like, there's no like fronts in this war. So it's not safe to be anywhere. It's not like they're on the home front sort of just like shoring up the national morale where while somebody fights in like a trench far away. like Yeah, it reminds me of like Bleeding Kansas or something like that. Like this kind of door-to-door guerrilla warfare. Bleeding Uh, Kansas are like contemporary wars in like the Middle East. Right, insurgencies. Right. So just very... It's terrifying. Very grim. And just these random assassinations. I don't know. It's fucked up. Good point. (laughs) That's deep. So a thing that I like here is that the Weasley twins have this really innate understanding of the fact that wartime doesn't mean that people are capable of giving up all like joy and whimsy in their lives. Mrs. Weasley is so offended by the poster of You Know Pooh. As opposed with the like funny pun on you know who. And I'm just like, this is exactly what people need in a moment like this. She's less offended and more worried that it's going to make them a target for Death Eater retribution. Because she says. I think she's horrified because it's like rude. No, but she says, oh my God, they're going to be murdered in their beds. Oh, that's true. So it's like both. But it's like, it's really brave because, you know, comedy becomes like an act of resistance. Yeah. These two are like resistance heroes in my mind like Voldemort and co the death eaters 
don't have great senses of humor. No, indeed. They take themselves extremely fucking seriously. And the Weasley twins are like, people still need normalcy. And more than ever, people need shit that is colorful and strange and funny and delightful. Because otherwise, like, we're all just going to die of depression. Yeah. It's like, it can't, your life, you cannot sustain a life that is exclusively bleak. As 2018 is teaching us. <laughs> And Harry recognizes that, too, because that is the rationale for his seed investment in Weasley's Wizard Wheezes. So Harry shouldn't become an Auror. He should become the Wizarding World's first venture capitalist. I mean, he could kind of be both he could because be both. he's rich. That's he's, true. like, independently wealthy. He could definitely <laughs> continue to invest in businesses. Also, I mean, frankly, the Ministry of Magic should be providing, like, just economic stimulus to revitalize Diagon Alley. They need like a Alley. wizarding new deal. I think they do because the two entrepreneurs who've ever received like a seed loan are doing great right now. And providing the ministry with something that clearly the ministry can provide for itself. We've just developed this more serious line, said Fred. Funny how it happened. You wouldn't believe how many people, even people who work at the ministry, can't do a decent shield charm, said George. Of course, they didn't have you teaching them, Harry. That's right. Well, we thought shield hats were a bit of a laugh. You know, challenge your mate to jinx you while wearing it and watch his face when the jinx just bounces off. But the Ministry bought 500 for all its support staff and we're still getting massive orders. So we've expanded into a range of shield cloaks, shield gloves. I mean, they wouldn't help much against the unforgivable curses. But for minor to moderate hexes or jinxes. And then we thought we'd get into the whole area of defense against the dark arts, because it's such a money spinner, continued George enthusiastically. This is cool. Look, instant darkness powder. We're importing it from Peru. Handy if you want to make a quick escape. Literally, you're right. They're defense contractors. God, I become such a, like, neoliberal when I talk about the wizarding economy, but... Well, that's because, I mean, it would be one thing that their government was any good. <laughs> but Fred and George are the ones doing... I mean, they're the only people inventing anything. I they, sound like, like, came like up, they came up with the shield charms because they thought that would be a funny trick, and then the ministry was like, we actually need body armor really badly. I love that they become, like, arms dealers, They're not basically. dealing arms. Yeah, but I mean, that's the next step, right? No! It's the magical industrial complex. Yeah, but I you kept calling them an arms dealer while we were planning this episode. And I think there's like a big difference. All right, they're defense contractors. I think I do find fucked up about Weasley's Wizard Wheezes is the girl section. The pink aisle. Which is like so offensive. And it goes right back because there are there's this giggling gaggle of girls in like the like bright pink display area where they're like, Ooh, here's a love potion. Like, ooh, look, it's so cute. Like, they may as well be selling, like, magical Barbies and, like, makeup kits. There's, like, a pimple reducer, which, like, boys get pimples. They look gross on boys, too. Maybe you could sell them non-gendered. God, magical skincare. Can you imagine? 
Yeah. Just I like mean, the world's best face it's mask. It's true that like the the 2018 resistance is like primarily serums. Yeah. All skincare. So <laughs> hashtag self care in the wizarding world. But I make you do face masks. It's amazing. Fucking newsflash. It feels really good when your skin is moisturized. <laughs> like I don't think that that's gendered. We're definitely going to talk about love potions in the future because it plays a sizable role in this book. But just what the fuck? I mean, that's not consent. Yeah. Hold that thought and just say to yourself, love potions. What the fuck? Yeah. The Weasleys are selling them. They're also selling like basically like LSD tablets. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Like these are drugs. (laughs) Hermione's like, oh, that's impressive. Uh, what if they are just psychedelics? That would Since be funny. Since the, the Weasleys are selling, like, muggle playing cards. I mean, I wouldn't put any kind of research past the Weasleys. Maybe they were like, oh, muggles, like, eat these mushrooms. <laughs> like, that's basically magic, Congratulations, right? you've discovered LSD. <laughs> they do sell muggle magic tricks, which I think is really cute. They're like, oh, it's like a fun parlor game to, like, do rope tricks and, like, they have, like, marked cards and stuff. I think that's adorable. Yeah, man, they they get the, like, analog component of yeah, it. Yeah, it's like selling, like, old-timey shit at, like, vintage stores. Like, yeah. nobody really needs a typewriter, but it's sure fun. They're actual geniuses. They're business minds, but mostly they're, like, innovation and technology. Incredible. The fact that we lose one of these men is probably the biggest loss to the actual wizarding world. I think so. It'd be like losing fucking, like, Marie Curie. Kind of, yeah, which we do. Right. But we I mean, have fucking radiation poisoning. Yeah, but you know, that's a fucking blow. It's a huge loss. You're right. It is like losing one of our great like inventors. Here's the thing I genuinely don't understand is how are the Malfoys allowed to just be like chilling? Yeah, you'd think that the ministry would have somebody just like tailing Narcissa or that she would be under house arrest. Or something. She aided and abetted her husband. I guess we don't know that for sure, but like the yeah. ministry could find yeah, that out. Yeah, they could easily. Like her husband's in fucking Azkaban for trying to steal the prophecy and clearly working with Voldemort. Like I guess you know we don't punish the relatives of people who commit crimes, but like certainly she's a person of interest. In well, there's also a difference these between investigations. committing crimes and, like, being an enemy of the state. Is um, she a Death Eater? Yeah, she's a Death Eater. But she's does she not... have the dark mark? I don't know if she does. Well, I mean... I mean, they could have looked to see. Maybe Narcissa doesn't have it. I think she's at least a collaborator. I mean, yeah, she's complicit, obviously. She's more than complicit, though. She's an active collaborator. She also tells Harry that she hopes he dies. Yeah, what the f- Fuck! She takes it from 0 to 11 immediately in Madame Malkin's. 0 to 11? 0 to 100? Yeah. Well, it could be on a 0 to 10 scale. Okay, got it. I see that being Dumbledore's favorite has given you a false sense of security, Harry Potter. But Dumbledore won't always be there to protect you. Harry looked mockingly all around the shop. Wow, look at that. He's not here now, so why not have a go? They might be able to find you a double cell in Azkaban with your loser of a husband. Malfoy made an angry movement toward Harry, but stumbled over his overlong robe. Ron laughed loudly. Don't you dare talk to my mother like that, Potter, Malfoy snarled. 
It's all right, Draco, said Narcissa, restraining him with her thin white fingers upon his shoulder. I expect Potter will be reunited with dear Sirius before I am reunited with Lucius. This just compounds my point in a, an earlier, I guess, two episodes ago. Narcissa's not a good person. This narrative redemption arc for Narcissa is bullshit. She's a horrible, horrible person. She tells a 16-year-old that she hopes he dies soon. She tells a 16-year-old that he will be reunited with his dead relative earlier than she will see her husband get out what of prison. the fuck? That's just not okay. <laughs> and she doesn't even do it for any real reason. She's like, oh, protecting her son or whatever. But you don't have to protect your son by telling a child that you hope he dies. Ah, here's a, something I've been wondering. Yeah. Does Narcissa think she's a good person? Does she think she's on the side of the right and that Harry Potter is evil? See, no, that's a good question because that's kind of where the Death Eater philosophy falls apart. Because, like, in a conflict like this, like, you have to assume that both sides think that they're correct. She definitely thinks she's right and that, like... Well, she Pure th bloods should be at the top of the pyramid and that's what's best for, like... Society. society. And I think she just thinks that, I don't think she thinks Harry is like evil. She just thinks that Harry is an impediment to that end that should be gotten rid of. Right. But I mean, she seems to hate Harry Potter. Well, she hates Harry because Harry hates Draco. And so Harry, it's a more, it's more primal and less philosophical. Personal. Well, she hates Harry primarily because Harry got Lucius imprisoned. Right. Because Lucius was, I mean, but she should be mad at Lucius for being out on this fucking dumb errand. <laughs> so, but I mean... Does she believe in the Death Eater cause? I, I guess not. So. I guess maybe, like... No, I think so. You think so? I mean, the Death Eater cause is, is pure-blood supremacy. Right. So do the Death Eaters think they're the good guys? Like, what's the Death Eater conception of themselves? I mean, I just wonder what the good guys means. Like, did the Nazis think they were the good guys? They think they thought that they were the right guys. Yeah, I guess good is different than right. I mean, like... I don't know what we would mean by good. I mean, you have to... Most people, they're the hero of their own story, right? Right. I think so, they think they're heroes in that they are making way for, like, the correct world order. But it's weird that they use all this, like, dark imagery. Like, they call him... They call Voldemort the Dark Lord. They basically call him evil McEvil face. I think that's more of, like, an aesthetic. Okay. But you're right, their magic is called the dark arts, <laughs> as, like, juxtaposed with, like, the light arts. I don't know, I mean, the problem with, like, fantasy villains right. of this sort, it's the same problem as, like, in Lord of the Rings. Like, those guys are clearly, like, there's a good and evil fight going on, and the people who are evil are fighting on the side of evil, which they sort of know. I mean, like, they're mostly just monsters. No, but, like, there's allies of Sauron. That's true. Who... Don't think that he's like, I mean, it's a giant flaming eye. There's a super famous essay from the 1950s about the Lord of the Rings that was published in The Nation called Ooh, Those Awful Orcs, where I think the writer, the writer Edmund Wilson is basically like, why are the orcs evil? Is it just because they're ugly? Like, well, they I have mean, no, I mean, the bad guys are way more motivated, actually, in Harry Potter. Well, but we've had that conversation about, like, werewolves and giants and Dementors. Like, all of these sort of, like, side creature characters that are fighting on the side of 
Lord Voldemort because they're being given power in a new world order that the ministry like doesn't allow them. Yeah. Like werewolves are treated horribly under current wizarding law. So, you know, much like the orcs, it makes sense for them to align themselves with the side that is promising them like a role in a new world. That's true because elf man policy or whatever in the Lord of the Rings is basically like Fuck orcs, they're orc, ugly. Yeah, orc genocide. Yeah, But no. orcs also want to kill all men and elves, so I don't know. But giants uh, in this book Blame don't, Morgoth. Giants have, like, a different culture, but, like, yeah, they've committed, like, giant genocide already in the wizarding world for no reason other than giants are, like, foreign to them. Right. Like, giants wouldn't be nearly as murderous if they weren't, like, confined to, like, increasingly smaller and, like, less appropriate spaces. Well. So it makes sense that all these other creatures like align themselves with Voldemort, but I don't know about the people. Right. Like the wizards themselves believe that they're fighting for like right. I don't know if it matters to them if they're like the good guys. Like a lot of people think that being like quote unquote good is like weak. Yeah, I guess you're right. You so know? they don't see it. So the Death Eaters don't see it in terms of like good or evil. They it's see it as like right and, and powerful. Yeah. And right. There is no good or evil, Harry. Only power. But really. I guess Voldemort does actually lay out the Death Eater philosophy. Yeah, no. In the very first book, so. And Narcissa, A, has, like, deep familial loyalty. Like, thinks that her family is more important than sort of, like, right and wrong. Right. And B, yeah, is along for the ride on the ideology that purebloods should, like, rule the wizarding world. And Harry is just, yeah, an impediment to and that. And Harry's in the way. And Harry is, like pesky and like thinks that he's good and important when really he is just like the last thing you have to get rid of before like the great and powerful guy they all support takes over and makes things right so i mean do they think that they're evil i guess not i just don't think that that's like a conception they they don't think it's an important distinction no yeah all right so it's interesting that they have this confrontation at madame malkin's because this is where draco and harry first met it's a really nice mirroring because it's almost the same conversation yeah but the stakes are so much higher and more people are involved right but they're like actually like life and death conversations now because they they wish mutually for each other's literal death it highlights the evolution of draco in an interesting way because you know in sorcerer's stone he was just this kind of bratty kid mouthing off and he's a bully yeah But I mean, it shows how, if uninterrupted, how that becomes something like very dangerous, actually. So I I think, is she saying something about like how the people we are is like even really young children? Like what that, what can that can become? I don't don't know. You don't think so? Because I think the thing about Draco is like, as much as I resent Draco's sort of like, oh, he's complicated and it was all his family and blah, blah, blah. Like, I think Draco has some, like, very profound personal responsibility here. But Draco didn't have to turn out like this. Like, Draco is badly, badly influenced. Right. Yeah, that's my question, I by guess. By his parents. No, I don't think Did there's Did Draco any, have to be this way? No, there's no inevitability of anybody's, like, outcomes. But your environment and what you're being told makes a big difference. And Draco was set on the path of being a bully and a dick by the same people that sent him on the path to being a Death Eater, which is his parents. Yeah. Like, this is clearly learned in right. Draco. Right, oh, yeah. So, do I think that Draco is inevitably a bad guy? No, but he comes from bad guy stock. He's been taught 
to believe these things that are like cruel and evil. You've got to be carefully taught. I mean, you do. That song is correct in that it takes actual, first of all, in case people don't know, like obscure Rodgers and Hammerstein musicals, that's from South Pacific South is Pacific. not obscure. Okay, it's fine. It's mainstream for a musical. I don't know. I was brought up on all of these musicals. <laughs> I have no idea how common it is for people to have seen every Rodgers and Hammerstein musical ever made. Fair enough. But um, the point of that song is like it takes indoctrination to be a hateful person, which is is true. But I mean, was Draco already lost as an 11-year-old? I guess is my question. I think if someone like Dumbledore had tried harder to reach him, like, I think Draco was redeemable. Draco is redeemed. But instead they put him in fucking Slytherin, where he was only going to be exposed to the worst, where the password is pure blood. Well, also, they treat Slytherins like they're already evil from boyhood. Like, everybody treats Slytherins like they're automatically evil, so then they become evil. And then Dumbledore just fucking rips the house cup from them every year yeah, completely Dumbledore arbitrarily. Dumbledore treats Slytherins oh, like they're evil. Oh, man. I mean, you know, I think Draco was a baby sociopath to begin with, but, like, I think most people are redeemable. Yeah. But, like, they have to be given opportunities for redemption, and they have to be, like, de-indoctrinated, probably. But, like, Draco, like, sees the error in his ways, I guess, like, after he's, like, helped murder a bunch of people. Which, like, he definitely should go to jail. I guess these crimes are committed as a minor. Okay, well, so he should probably go to, like, counseling. Yeah, Draco needs a therapist. They Every one of these books do. needs a therapist. I guess he's of age in the next book, so... We don't actually know if he does much, like, nefarious shit. He definitely does attempted murder. But he never, like, mutters the curse. That's true, I guess. Okay, technicality. Draco, like, actually never goes over the, the line. Death Eater. You know, he, like, doesn't really have it. When the rubber meets the road. He's kind of a coward, He mostly. doesn't really have it in him. Yeah. Well, I guess it's not cowardly not to murder people, but. Well. Yeah, that's true. That I also forget the exact Draco kind of arc from here on out. Because I don't remember what happens in these fucking books. This is a good Draco book. Um, Who's your unsung hero? My unsung hero is Madame Malkin, who's just trying to keep her shop going in the second Wizarding War, and then there's almost this fucking wizard duel in the middle of her dress robe shop. I just relate to it. It's like when you're just trying to get to work, you're on the subway, and then, like, two people, like, start getting into it, and you think there's gonna be, like, a fist fight, or worse, and you're just like, Jesus Christ, like, please, everyone's commuting right now. No one has time for this. Yeah. Everybody just needs to chill. So poor Madam Malkin. She yeah. kind of tries to defuse it. But then she's just like, she does what I do every time that happens on the subway, <laughs> which is just studiously pretend that nothing is happening. You're just like, so let's uh, measure your hemline now. <laughs> My unsung hero is Mr. Weasley for, A, I love him, but for the very simple reason that his deepest desire in his life is to learn how airplanes stay up. Which, like, hard same. Yeah, relatable as fuck. My friend who is really good at math and physics recently sort of explained it to me. And it has to do with, like, the lift from, like, air. Which, like, I can say out loud, but still deeply don't understand. (laughs) So There's, like, an Onion headline that says, like, scientists announced that they have no idea how airplanes stay in the sky. So, 
But they do, and Mr. Weasley is totally right that that is one of our great mysteries on this earth. Airplanes are more impressive than brooms. Sorry, they just are. True. This week's episode is brought to you by Pygmy Puffs. They're basically tribbles. What's a tribble? You know, from Star Trek. No, why would I know that? There's this... What has ever in our marriage or relationship before given you the impression that I know anything about Star Trek? Tribbles are basically little furry puffballs that somebody sells. They, I don't, there's a famous episode from the original Star Trek series called The Trouble with Tribbles. Somebody like picks up one of these little fluff balls that like coo and are super cute and brings it onto the Enterprise. But then the thing about Tribbles is they breed really fucking fast. So the whole Enterprise almost gets overrun by these, like, tiny pygmy puff things. And I don't remember how it gets solved. Klingons are involved somehow. (laughs) Spock tries to look at things logically, and they get rid of the Tribbles. Good. Congratulations to them. This seems to be a riff on the Tribble. I I don't know if it's specifically inspired by Tribbles, but it might be. But I guess they they don't, like... Do out of control breeding. There's not like a pygmy puff like C plot, right? No, they that just would have been too. Cute. That would have been too blatant. Every been. sci-fi needs to have like its cute little puff balls, like, like uh, porgs, porgs in the new Star Wars, who are pretty cute. But like, I really like those bear people better. Ewoks. Thank you, Ewoks. Little different. I know, but they're like cute. slightly larger. Yeah, but they're sweet. But they're like kind of murderous sweet, which I'm more into. <laughs> <laughs> um, they do. They threaten to. Eat Luke Skywalker and Han Solo and Chewbacca. Which they have every right to threaten to do because they're like interlopers and, you know, those bears eat flesh. (laughs) I don't see the problem. Do you like porgs or pygmy puffs better? I don't remember pygmy puffs very well at all. But pygmy puffs because I like Harry Potter better than Star Wars. Well, we'll have to watch The Trouble with Tribbles now. Okay. It's a classic. Sure. Why not? The audiobook clips that you heard are courtesy of Penguin Random House Audio. They are from Jim Dale's performance of Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. You can find us all the places that you would expect on social media, at Quibbler Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Stitcher. We're on, you know, wherever it is that you get these things. If you are on a place where ratings are an option, please do so. Give us as many stars as you see fit. We hope it's five. And uh, leave us a review. You can get hold of us at quibblerpodcast at gmail.com or direct message us on any of the socials. We have an occasional newsletter, which is tinyletter.com slash quibblerpodcast. Yeah, there's actually a lot of like context links I need to send out for yeah. just things we've discussed. So We'll do that pretty soon. Note to self, get on that. And next week, we will be reading the chapters called The Slug Club and Snape Victorious. So we'll talk to you then. Thanks, amigos. Molly, I've got to ask you your question first. What do you like me to call you when we're alone together? Even by the dim light of the lantern, Harry could tell that Mrs. Weasley had turned bright red. Molly Wobbles. What are those? She was pointing at a number of round balls of fluff in shades of pink and purple, all rolling around the bottom of a cage and emitting high-pitched squeaks.
Pygmy puffs, said George. Miniature puff skeins. We can't breed them fast enough. What's the matter, Spock? There's something disquieting about these creatures. I see no practical use for them. Does everything have to have a practical use for you? They're nice, they're soft, and they're furry, and they make a pleasant sound. So would an ermine violin, Doctor, but I see no advantage in having one. She tapped the pot again. It rose into the air, flew toward Harry, and tipped over. Mrs. Weasley slid a bowl neatly beneath it, just in time to catch the stream of thick, steaming onion soup. This is soup l'oignon gratiné. I'm just putting a lot of cheese on the top of it. And then a little bit of oil goes on. And there you are. Harry swallowed a large amount of very hot soup and thought he could feel his throat blistering. That's great, he gasped. So this is really the soup that made the onion famous. This is Julia Child. Bon appétit.